Inter Miami turned in a good performance, but it did not get a good result, and the playoff chase is practically over now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team on the second podcast this week. My name is Franco Panizo, and joining me is Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad, mate. Uh, probably better than Phil Neville and the players are pl- feeling today after you know Tuesday night, a Wednesday night even in Atlanta. Disappointing. I thought they played well. We'll get into it. Disappointing result. The season's pretty much over now, barring... A miracle. I'm sure Phil Neville, when we speak to him tomorrow, Friday, will say they've still got to keep going. But he knows that uh, that that's that really. And it's a shame. But uh, they have been good enough. And I think he will accept that. And um, we have to move on to next season. But it doesn't, you know, take away the sort of disappointment of, of not making it this time around, really. A bit of a failure all, all around, which is unfortunate. It was a good game. It was a decent game, I thought. It was lively, uh, for sure. Um it always is when there's so much on the line. So, Don Garber, if you're listening, promotion and relegation is something that you should definitely do. And that's another conversation. <laughs> it actually did feel like a playoff game to me at times. There was a lot of tension behind it because of what it meant for both teams. Atlanta United was still, is still looking to cement their spot in the playoffs. And Inter Miami was trying to pull off a late miracle. But obviously with the disappointing 2-1 to defeat, it's pretty much done and dusted. We will talk about... What the result means, what the playoff standings are, because Inter Miami is still alive mathematically. The team is not dead yet, although the grave has begun to get dug. So we'll touch into that. We'll touch on that. We'll touch on this upcoming game against New York City FC, how Inter Miami should approach it. And obviously, this is the second pod in just a matter of a few days maybe two, three days since we last recorded the the pod earlier in the week. So we're going to try to get through this in a quick fashion because there's not a whole lot of time between when we record and the next game. This is not a traditional Saturday night game coming up. It's on Halloween Eve and it's being played on Saturday afternoon. So less time for you listeners to hear this pod before the game kicks off. So Steve, let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Okay, Steve, so as we mentioned, Inter-Miami went to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, and it suffered a demoralizing 2-1 defeat on Wednesday night, a game in which Inter-Miami had the lead and initially took the lead through a Gonzalo Higuain penalty kick in the first half, but two goals from Atlanta United, the first from Luis Araujo, and then the second from Joseph Martinez, that undoes Inter-Miami, and they, they suffer their first loss in three games, it Drops them to 11th place in the Eastern Conference. Six points shy of the final playoff spot in in the East with two games left on the year. So in theory, Inter Miami could make up that ground. But like we said, we'll, we'll dissect all of that in just a little bit. This was the lineup that Phil Neville went with. He caught you and I by surprise because we both thought he was going to go with the four-man backline. We said that on the pod earlier in the week with Jose. But they went with five at the back in this one, and this was the starting 11. Nick Marsman in goal. Kelvin Leardam and Breck Shea were your wingbacks on the right and left, respectively. Your center back trio from right to left were Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Christian McCoon. Your midfield tandem was Gregory and Jay Chapman. And up top, the front three 
from right to left were Lewis Morgan, Gonzalo Higuain, and Rodolfo Pizarro. Now, let's just jump right into what it means for the playoffs. Before we dive into the game and our takeaways, let's just dive into what it means for the playoffs because I know that a lot of people have asked questions as to what the standing is, what the situation is, because Inter-Miami is still mathematically alive. And how is that possible? How is that the case? Well, because Inter-Miami is only six points shy of the final playoff spot, in theory, they could win these last two games. And DC United, which is in seventh place right now, could lose the last two games. Inter-Miami would then be tied with DC United in terms of points, in terms of the first tiebreaker, which is wins, overall wins this season. But then that next tiebreaker is where it really gets difficult because it's goal differential. Right now, DC United is at plus two. Inter-Miami is at negative 16. So they're not mathematically out, but it's pretty much over at this point it's pretty much over and, and that's you know that's without taking into consideration that there are other teams ahead of inter miami that if they just pick up one more win they would also knock out inter miami from from playoff contention so it's, it's i think an easy way yeah an easy way to explain it is it's just it's not going to happen i think it's probably the best way uh, you know in theory i could win the lottery or i could be you know i could play for england and qatar next year in the world cup but in reality that's not going to happen, and unfortunately, this isn't going to be either. Well, you know, I just wanted to break down the different scenarios or, or why Inter Miami's not officially, officially eliminated yet, but it'll probably come this Saturday. So this Saturday will probably officially put that final nail in the coffin for Inter Miami, and it'll come on Halloween Eve. So I don't know if that's fitting or not fitting, but anyway, Steve, what was your biggest takeaway from this match, from this defeat for Inter Miami? They, they should have, you know, they should have won. Great start. I know you, you pointed out um, expertly that Iguain potentially was offside when he missed that great chance early on. But they had a few other good chances. Uh, Iguain, Lewis Morgan. Uh, you know, eventually they got the, they got the. I think Lewis Morgan had a great chance just before he won the penalty, put away the penalty, and then fair play to Atlanta. They had a real go second half. Barco and you know Martinez were brilliant, terrorised into Miami and. But even so, even at 2-1, you know, could see the couple of goals coming. But Robbie Robinson, two great chances at the end. A header and then I think a volley that he put over. Both that he really should have done better. And that's the difference. You know, it's, you've just got to take your chances. I don't think there was too much wrong in the performance. I thought they did great. I thought it was, uh, there was something on the line. There was a real intensity to the match. A lot of fouls. I was watching the, I don't know what other people were watching, but I had the Atlanta feed. So I had Atlanta-based commentators on the guy. Kevin Egan used to play for work for B in and he kept on talking about how many fouls on Barco. I think it got to about 12 or 13. It was like an MLS record. It was tying for an MLS record, one of the two, but uh, five yellow cards. Yeah, it was intense because uh, there was a lot on the line. Even a draw, I think, would have, you know, it still would have been good enough regardless, but they deserve something from the game. But, you know, they're just going to miss out. And as, as we said last week or last time, it was it's because of those bad streaks. You just can't afford to do that in in a league that's that's so tight, and they're just going to miss out when really had a couple of wins, and they probably would have been okay. So, uh, same old story, but they just didn't take a chance. I didn't think they played that badly, to be honest. So I want to touch on what you just said about the referee and the fouls called in this one, because look, I am not someone that likes to really talk about the referees in a game unless they have a completely blown call or, or a controversial call. But I did think in this one. At times, and the word in Spanish, or at least you know, in 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 Peru, is called localista. When the referee, it's kind of it's used to describe a referee that's that 
officiates a game as kind of a homer because I thought the the discrepancy in fouls at, at one point during the stretch of the game was really really in Atlanta United's favor and not really in Inter Miami's favor. I didn't think it was that balanced. And look, you could say that Inter Miami was doing a lot of fouling and that that can happen in the course of the game, but I don't know. There were some fouls that I was like, is that worth a yellow? Is that worth a foul? I don't know. I, I did feel he was a bit localista, a bit of a homer, and maybe playing to you know the environment. Or, and and I don't think it's it's a conscious thing. I think it could be a subconscious thing. You know, when you've got the home crowd and, and all those things that come into play there. So uh, I don't know. I, I thought there were points in in that second half, especially where where maybe some calls went unfairly against Inter Miami's way. But anyway, that's not why they lost this game. Like you said, the biggest takeaway for me is the lack of efficiency up front. That is one of the biggest elements in soccer. One of the biggest elements in football is efficiency. Putting the ball into the back of the net with the chances you do create. And Inter Miami just did not do that in this one. They played well. They had a good game. They had a pretty good game. But they did not get the result because they could not put the ball into the back of the net. And it's a bit different than the recurring theme from a lot of this season because over the course of a lot of this season, Inter Miami hasn't created all that much. In this one, they created plenty, plenty. 11 shots, 6 on target, but only one goal. And that one goal came off a penalty kick. So that lack of efficiency up front, that wastefulness with the chances, that was what undid Inter Miami. We will talk about and touch on Phil Neville's formation change in the second half because the the game winner comes immediately immediately after he he changes the formation but that's not why Inter Miami lost this game. They lost this game because they did not put the ball into the back of the net. They played a good game. They had their chances. They defended well for the most part. Like you said a draw would have been, you know, a a, a respectable result. Not the result they wanted, but a bit would have been a respectable result based on what we saw on the balance of play. And Inter Miami could have even won this one because when they were up 1-0, Gonzalo Higuain has a chance to make it 2-0 off of a sublime cross from Kelvin Leardam, and he can't direct it into the back of the net. He shoots it too close to Brad Guzan, and the Atlanta United goalkeeper makes the the save. Let's start though with the with the formation change because, like I mentioned before, you and I both said in the last pod on that released on wednesday we're recording this thursday so this one will be released friday i'm getting all my days confused but anyway we both thought that inter miami would go with four at the back they went with five now some people might be critical of that say you know they didn't go for it that they played a little bit more defensive minded and look they did take a more defensive posture but they were still pretty good in that first half for me they still created things they were still the better team i think during the first 45 minutes what did you think about the formation change and what did you think about how it impacted the the performance? Well, I mean, they had a bit of success the last time they played Atlanta, didn't they, when they played like that? And I think that was in must have been in the back of his mind. I think it, Yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, they didn't take their chances. It was working. They they you know, they play well, deserve to go ahead. Um, you know, one up at the break. I mean, you know, they, yeah, that was that was it. That was the chance. I think that they came on strong second half for sure. A lot of pressure, yeah, and it started to get a bit bitty. But on the whole, I thought they did well. I thought the the fullbacks, you know, Shea and Nidham, I thought they did they did pretty well. Lewis Morgan was was decent. Uh, Gregore was getting stuck in. I hate that pitch. Horrible. You can see them covered in this black, that black, those black sort of pellet things that are just on those uh, AstroTurf pitches. It's horrible. But um, yeah, they he would have been pleased. They would have been pleased going in at half time. They would have been delighted. 
absolutely delighted. They're quite the crowd. They were in control, had great chances. Um, and then, yeah, it fell apart, but they would have been super annoyed that they didn't at least get a point because they had some great chances at the end, even when they looked like they weren't going to get in it at all. And that, that's, that is ultimately the difference. And Barco and Martinez, their two star guys, came to the party and, you know, dominated and really got in amongst it and were lively and caused them a lot of problems. And Iguain had a bit of a, an off night and Pizarro didn't, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me he was amazing, but uh, <laughs> he, they don't, they're different players. Shots fired, but, shots fired. But their DPs really stood up and, and you know, were, the, were ultimately the, with the difference and Miami's word. And that, that's, that's been the way the whole season, isn't it? You also didn't mention that Luis Araujo, not Araujo, you know, it's, it's tempting to say Araujo because it's, that's how it's spelled, but he's Brazilian, so it's Araujo. That third DP, he was the difference maker. Joseph Martinez might have scored the game winner, but Luis Araujo was the difference maker because he scores the equalizing goal off the free kick, which we'll touch on in a second, and then he assists on the game winner for Joseph Martinez with a, with a great pass into space that the Venezuelan striker raced onto. He, he got in behind uh, Leandro gonzalez Pires on that play. But, yeah, but, but Barco, Barco's only 22. That's, that, that is the kind of player that they want. Young, hungry player like that, but a, a top, top DP. And I thought he was he was great. I thought he was really good, super busy. That's that's the kind of player they, they need, isn't it? Well, he was good yesterday, but he hasn't been great over the spell of his MLS sure. career. So I don't know if they, that's exactly the type of player they need. Anyway, just to I mean, stick that, on... You know, that, I, no, I got you. I can, just to stick on to the Inter-Miami performance. Because after the game... You know, Phil Noble talked about just the inability to put the ball into the back of the net. And he didn't, well, I, th- I guess he named names over the course of his just description of the game. And he touched on Gonzalo Higuain's miss on, on that one look in the second half. He also touched on Robbie Robinson's contributions late on. But then later on when he talked about the game in more general terms, you know, he didn't directly say Gonzalo Higuain or Rolfo Pizarro, but... My interpretation of what he was saying was that, you know, he was not happy with what they gave out because the, the DPs, right? He was comparing Atlanta's DPs and how they put the ball into the back of the net. And, you know, it's it sounded like, and I read it as him just being very critical and, and being upset with the production he got from the likes of Gonzalo Higuain and, and Rodolfo Pizarro. I mean, he probably was a bit frustrated with Robbie Robinson too because Robbie Robinson had a glorious opportunity. But Robbie Robinson, we can't hold him to the same standard that we hold Iguain and Pizarro because they are the designated players. They get paid millions of dollars. Robinson does not. He's in his second year as a professional. So I, I do think that he was frustrated with the DPs and, and their inability to to step up and carry this team over the finish line. Remember, after this this most recent win, the 5-1 to one victory over the weekend against the FC Cincinnati, which Inter Miami won by a lopsided margin, Phil Neville said, when Gonzalo Higuain plays well, the team plays well. And in this one, Gonzalo Higuain did not play that well. And I still thought the team played well, but it wasn't enough to to get the victory. But Steve, what did you think about Gonzalo Higuain's overall performance? He gets the goal on the penalty kick, doesn't finish another opportunity he has later on. But he, he showed some things during the run of play. But, you know, overall, what did you think? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did okay. He always looked, you know, the most likely to score. Just yeah, it wasn't his wasn't his his best night. You could tell he was getting frustrated, kicking out. There were there was a few little tussles towards the end. Um, yeah, he just needs help. He can't do it all on his own. I think you know that's what Phil Neville touched on the other night when he said that you know the pressure of carrying the team as a DP, you know, has affected him all that kind of stuff. He can't he can't do it on his own. He can't. He needs other guys to 
to you know to help out and um, share the load. And yeah, there were some okay performances. No one, you know, but they just yeah he needed help. He needed a like Barco and Martinez together. They just they ran the show. And that, it wasn't he needed he needed others to sort of you know start pulling their weight you know, for Bizarro or something like that. And they, they kind of went missing really just when they needed them. But there's two chances at the end, the header, uh, Robbie Robinson, you know, that's it, man. That's it. That's where it's at. If they would have, if we would have put one of those away, then it could have been a bit, a bit, bit of a different story. And they, no one could have really begrudged them a point, I don't think. But yeah, that's the difference. Look, if, if you have to put percentages of responsibility on, on players, Gonzalo Higuain shoulders the most. Maybe Pizarro's right there next in line. Although, you know, he didn't have any clear-cut chances like Robbie Robinson did. But look, Lewis Morgan also, did, I didn't think, had a great game. You know, I think he, he, he wasn't at his sharpest. Maybe that's due to fatigue after after playing the last few few games because he came out in the 61st minute. If I'm not mistaken, he was the first Inter-Miami substitute so or player substituted. So maybe he had some, some heavy legs there, but he didn't look his sharpest. And he, he also wasn't great. He does draw the penalty kick after Brekshay, you know, clips in a ball in behind. And Brad Guzan fouls, fouls Lewis Morgan. Wasn't initially called. It went to VAR. But overall, I just didn't think Lewis Morgan had a great game. But, you know, the attack still left something to be desired. Even though this game was better than what we've seen from a performance standpoint for much of the year, it still left something to be to be desired, especially with the finishing there in the final third. I, I know I asked you about the formation. I don't think I chimed in on the, on the formation change. I agree that it worked. And... You know, it, it he, he definitely, Phil Neville probably definitely went back into his memory bank and said, look, when we played with five at the back, last time around we were competitive and, you know, maybe we could have gotten that game if it wasn't for a, if it wasn't for a controversial call. So, you know, I can imagine that was the thinking. He didn't want to expose the team completely or, or maybe overly in the opening half if he had played with four at the back. Because once he switched out of the five-man backline, once he pulled Nicolas Vigal in the second half when the game was one-to-one, immediately after that, a minute after that, Inter Miami's playing with four at the back now. There's more spaces to exploit. And Atlanta United scores the, the go-ahead goal and, and the winner. So I think that, that was along the lines of his thinking. And I don't begrudge him for changing the formation at the start of the game. I also don't begrudge him for changing the formation halfway through the second half because a 1-1 result was not good enough for Inter-Miami. They needed to win given the situation that they were in. They had to take more risks there and with risks come the potential to 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 give up goals. And that's that's what happened unfortunately for Inter-Miami and they just couldn't find find enough at the other end which which you know obviously again a lot of it goes on Gonzalo Higuain who I thought had an okay game as did most of the team. But just not enough from him on this one. He's the big money man. He's the one that has to deliver, and he he did not do that in this one. But he's not solely to blame. There's also you. You can also point the finger at Pizarro. You can point the finger at Luis Morgan. You can point the finger at Robbie Robinson. The attackers that also have to help contribute with either assists or goals. Uh, they they obviously did not did not do that. So switching gears just to Robbie Robinson's performance because in this one. It's been an extension of what we've seen from him, especially as of late. Wasteful in front of goal, inefficient, not putting the ball into the back of the net. He had that glorious header, that glorious header. And look, at that point, that header makes it 2-2. Two to two. Inter-Miami still probably doesn't win the game, although they could have a chance to, to pull it out late. But he's got to put that ball in the back of the net because at this point, maybe his confidence is low, it's possible, but I'm starting to really question 
his fit in this team longer term. Because if if he has that much or that many issues putting the ball into the back of the net, you know maybe he needs he needs different a different scenario scenario or different setting. And Inter Miami maybe could could get something if they trade him within the league or I don't know. I, I I'm starting to have oh, no God, questions about him. He's a star guy, wasn't he? He was a star guy up until a few. Uh, he was the one that's emerging and you know what what a player. So now you're getting rid of him. Well, I mean, what do you think? You know, he's been, he hasn't been playing well as a late. So yeah, yeah, right. Um, no, I mean, look, you've got to hope that he will learn from some stuff like this. Big big chances missed. You know that was. That could have been the difference. That was the difference last night. He should have scored. Definitely the 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 the, the second one, the shot over, at least get on target. But with the header out from six yards, it sort of was straight out Guzan. But um, she's got to score. Got to score. But you're right. You have to get power behind that. Just you have the whole goal essentially at your mercy. Just get power behind it and head it straight. I don't. I don't know why he headed it down, but. I, th- I think it's just down. So to hit the bounce, and it bounces up. But yeah, it was but that takes straighter. that takes power off of off of the ball, and it's easier to save, especially when he doesn't get enough placement on it. And I have questions about his ruthlessness and his his uh, his clinical, how clinical he is in the final third. And I, I don't know, man. I, I haven't been the biggest Robbie Robinson guy from what I've seen, dating back to last season. This year, he showed a little bit more on the wing, but still, I still don't see enough. And I know Inter Miami raves about him. I know Phil Neville raves about him. But I personally, Franco Panizo, I'll put my name to it. I just don't see enough from him to say I see I see what they see in terms of his his future. Because look, let, let's look at his stats. He has four goals this season. Four goals. Is that a great year for an attacking player? I know he's been injured. I know he's been uh, out of the lineup at times, et cetera, et cetera. But is four goals in, in this season all that good? No, not at all. No, no. I think he's definitely progressed this season. Interesting. It's a bit of a curveball, really. If they want to, you know, they have to going to get rid of some players. He he's pretty sellable. I think they could probably do some business. Um, just depends if I mean he's putting on a relatively lowish wage. I would have thought, but and his transfer would he command the big transfer fee? I don't know. I'm not sure. He's still very young, very raw, but um, I don't know. I think there's probably other places in the. Squad, which they could probably uh, sharpen up a bit, and, and they could keep him. Because I think there was definitely a good player. He, I think he's he's got you know the, he's got some talent. It's just um, yeah, it's, that's the difference between the big good players and the great players, isn't it? You just got to got to take chances. Look, I, if I were Chris Henderson, I would explore the possibility of trading him because he's still young. You know, that's his 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 stock is still relatively high, probably right. He could, they could probably get something out of him, like you mentioned, but. You know, I don't see enough from him. I just don't see enough from him and his continued inability to to consistently put the ball into the back of the net, despite having some good chances. Remember the last Atlanta United game up in Atlanta, he had a glorious look and he botches that one, shoots it wide of the frame, despite being wide open from about I don't know twelve yards, thirteen yards out. I just don't see enough. And look, these are his stats for the season: twenty-two games played, sixteen starts, four goals, zero assists in. 1,310 minutes. Not a good haul for me if for an attacking player. He doesn't even get assists, so that that to me, it's just a very limited player. And, and again, I would look into trading him if if possible this offseason. But, you know, Inter Miami has said they're high on him, so may, maybe they keep him for another year. But, you know, I would explore the possibility. Steve, before we put a bow on this game, we have to talk about the formation change in the second half. Because, like I said before, at least once, maybe twice, when Inter-Miami switched 
into that 4-2-3-1, the goal happens immediately. The game-winning goal. Inter Miami had already given up a goal on a, on a free kick. Is there anything Inter Miami could have done differently? Is there anything that they that they could have done to avoid that game-winning goal? I, I, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, they, you know, they needed to go for the win, didn't they? And they were still creating enough enough chances. I don't think it was an option just to try to trying to hang back. It was a game they had to win, so they were they had to be a bit open. I just thought Atlanta kind of second half they they bossed it pretty much, didn't they? Once they got level, that was it. They were kind of Miami were you know on the back foot for long long periods, just trying to survive, and then they scored again, and then you know that you thought that was it. But you know as we keep saying, they did create more chances, and they did have opportunities to definitely draw level. If you you know scored one of those, and then it's two all, then you just Never know. They look. They had to go for the win. They knew that. So I don't think it was an option where they could have just soaked it up for 15 minutes and then you know it's difficult in the in the cold light of day. You think, yeah, well maybe he's Phil Neville's thinking, yeah, maybe we should have hold tight for 10. I don't think it, it doesn't work like that when you're in the middle of it. You know, he would have wanted that. He could have seen that they were, um, you know, competing well with Atlanta and that they were creating chances. So you're gonna have to just keep it going in the hope you're gonna nick one. And you know, <laughs> that's the game, isn't it? Yeah, so I don't blame Phil Neville again on this one. You know, the the circumstances, the situation called for him to have to be more aggressive, and, and he tried to be, tried to take chances. It's just unfortunate for Inter Miami, but maybe it's just a sign of the team that they are and, and how poor of a team that they are. Because if they could have kept it 1 1 and, and gotten their rhythm in that 4 2 3 1 formation, maybe that allows them to. To, to score a goal or create better chances with Federico Higuain on the field. But the fact that the goal comes within seconds after the formation change, it puts Inter Miami at a disadvantage, puts them in a hole, and you know now they're playing catch-up. And, and obviously it's a tough, tough challenge there. So it would have been nice to see them be able to put out that fire and, and try to keep it at 1-1 for another 5-10 minutes to see what they could have done with the game level and a more attacking posture, but just didn't get the opportunity to see that. They give up the goal immediately. Uh, last thing we, to touch on, because we didn't touch on it, was the free kick goal, the equalizing goal from Luis Araujo. Anything there you want to add? Anything you think they could have done differently? Maybe they could have had one of those players that lays behind the the wall because this goal is free kick. It, it's not exactly on the, on the pitch, not on the turf or on the ground. It was a little bit above that, but it goes in between, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be mistaken here because I, I had to rewatch the play 10 to 15 times on the on the replay last night on the rewatch. I think it goes in between Leandro Gonzalez-Pires and Jay Chapman, Chapman, if I'm not mistaken. And it goes in between their feet, like a little hole in the wall, the slightest hole in the wall, and it, it surprises Nick Marsman and goes into the back of the net. Anything you think they could have done differently there? Well, they shouldn't have jumped. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's a good it's a good ploy by the free kick taker. Just where you don't really see that very often. That's why they they have you know in Europe a lot. They made the point in the commentary that Messi was doing it the other week. You know, just lying down the floor. To, you know, to make sure that if he does do that, it's going to hit him. Which is not a great job, is it? You know, like asking Lionel Messi to lie down and just hopefully get smashed in the face by a free kick. Well, they usually have their back turned to it. They usually you know they usually don't put their face first towards the ball they actually usually turn, yes. turn their back to it so they'll hit their 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 back or the back of their head or their bum see, you know you their bum english word you yes on the bum but um yeah you don't often see that when he just sneaks under the wall um it's just instinctive to jump isn't it, it just it makes it look a little bit foolish but uh, it was a nice strike but yeah shouldn't 
they would they'll be disappointed, I think, from a defensive as a defensive unit that they would that would have that would that crept in really. Although Marsman and Marsman's sort of you know blindsided because he, he thinks that that side that's where the wall's going to hit it. So the wall didn't do his job, unfortunately. But it's it's a harsh one to take. But it's just yeah, he didn't do his job. Did it? It's a very disappointing goal to give up because of yeah. how it comes. It comes off a set piece and and it's not even a great free kick. It's not a quality free kick. It's going to make a highlight reel just happen to, to get in between the hole in the wall. Like you said, the wall did not do its job. The wall is called the wall for a reason. You're supposed to stick together, stay tight, and prevent those shots from going through. You know, if it goes up and over and it, and it goes under the crossbar, then, you know, you tip your hat. But, you know, to go through you, that's disappointing. And I know Phil Neville had some beef with, you know, the, the play that led to that free kick because I, I think even Breck Shea said in the post-game press conference he thought that the initial foul was on from Barco on Kelvin Leardam as opposed to Kelvin Leardam fouling Barco. And I know Phil Noble said that he was upset that Intermind was playing with 10 men at that time before uh, before the free kick when that foul happened because Nicolas Figal, I believe he, he, he was bleeding. I don't know if it was from his, from his finger or from his head. He was bleeding, so he had to be taken to the sideline per, per the rules and had to change out of his jersey and had to clean up the cut and had to be wrapped up before he could get back on the field. And then apparently that took uh, longer than Intermind would have liked. So they were playing with 10 men. And that obviously takes away some defensive solidity from them. It leads to uh, to the free kick, and obviously then comes the the equalizing goal. But anyway, a loss for Inter Miami. We'll leave it there. We'll we'll wrap up this segment. We'll come back and preview this weekend's game against New York City FC. How will Inter Miami go about that one? We'll talk about that after this. The team was fantastic. I thought the collective system. The effort of the players, the belief of the players to win the game football was 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 just as good as it's been, I think, on the road. And ultimately, it comes down to what I was told on day one in this league is that goals win matches and your big players need to stand up in big matches. And uh, congratulations to Atlanta. Uh, Martinez Araco stood up, put their chances away. And, uh, and, and we're really disappointed. And it, it's... Even though I, I've been told it's mathematically not impossible, it feels it feels it at this moment in time. Okay, Primo, Inter Miami returns home for its Drive Pink Stadium 2021 finale on Halloween Eve on Saturday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. against New York City FC. What kind of game should we expect? New York City FC is coming off of a win on Wednesday night, so... They'll have some confidence behind them. They're still looking to solidify what place they'll be in in the playoffs, although it looks like they are going to make it. But what should we expect from this game on Saturday afternoon? Well, NYCFC, you know, looking good now, fourth place. Uh, they've been on a decent run. Um, but nice to see Marcelo Claré, formerly of, of Inter Miami, of, you know, David Beckham's alleged right, or Jorge Massey's right-hand man during a load of, you know, during the dark days of the club potentially never actually happening uh tweeting his support for nycfc nice little dig proving in 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 the cold light of day that uh you know they obviously had a very big fallout him certainly him and jorge mass he you know they, the parts of the front office really fell out with him we never really got the true the, you know the, the story behind that but we're all very strange so yeah he was reveling in uh into miami's misery which was uh not the most edifying of ways to uh 
um, present himself, but there you go. So were you surprised to see that? Sorry to interrupt you, but were you surprised to see a tweet like that? Because the tweet, so. the tweet is yeah. is is you know congratulating NYCFC, but it's a screenshot of NYCFC's tweet talking about their score on Wednesday. But he also included the tweet underneath that that said Inter Miami lost, right? That I believe that's how yeah. that's how the, the the tweet that he put out went. So it it, it proves how how you know they clearly had a very bad fallout, and he's clearly very upset about it, isn't he? Otherwise, <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't be acting like that. So um, yeah, from what I was hearing in the club, you know, they, there was a big fallout in the front office, um, which sort of disintegrated his relationships. I mean, he was the one, wasn't he? That uh, allegedly mentioned to MLS in the first place that that there was a problem with Matuidi, so that goes a long way back. And I'm sure there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that will probably never come out. So clearly there was a yep. huge fallout there, and he's absolutely loving it right now. For, for clarity's sake, since we are media members, he tweeted out "Bravo!" clapping hands emoji at NYCFC playoff bound, and he included a screenshot. And that screenshot in the tweet is a tweet of NYCFC's tweet saying check plus three points after their 1-0 win over the Chicago Fire on Wednesday. And he made sure to include the tweet underneath that, which said Inter Miami from Inter-Miami CF's account that said Atlanta United pulls ahead Atlanta 2-1 to one on Miami. So definitely a dig, definitely a dig at, Big at, time. at, at the team. And, you know, weird, because when we were covering us first, we first started covering Inter-Miami way back, what, 2014, he was always the guy that's like, yeah, the right-hand man, you know, the man behind, you know, the beard and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, look at the, look how seven there's, years there's, on. We've got to get to the bottom of that. We've got to get to the bottom of that. we got to find more information on that because if it's that personal, then some something's happened along the lines. And he's yeah. all, he was also the one that reportedly pointed the finger first, like you mentioned, at Inter-Miami's uh, Inter breaking of the rules. So there's got to be a lot more and to that story. Ma- Masayoshi-san, the, uh, the, uh, the other guy that was in the front office Japanese billionaire owned SoftBank Industries he also you know he pulled out at the same time so and then obviously Beckham and Mask then brought a bigger controlling stake maybe there was some element of that I think that that people's sources I spoke to at the club seemed to think that Claret was a sort of strange figure very divisive he wasn't liked so whether or not his link with Paul McDonough and all that kind of stuff maybe there was a element in there which um had sort of uh you know troubled the waters there so to speak so um yeah but you can tell from his tweet that he's uh he's bitter and angry or whatever and doesn't doesn't care which is a shame because he was there from the inception you know he was he, he must have worked really hard in the last six or seven years or you know certainly was part of his life so to all some change like that is uh yeah, interesting. We're, we're we're getting sidetracked here, but I think I think look, and this is not information; it's just my supposition. I think there probably is more of an issue between him and Jorge Mas, but that's just what I would think from the outside. No, I think you're correct. I think you're right. Yeah, I, but I, other people in the front office were also starting to get sort of detached from him. I think so. Um, yeah, yeah, but I think I think the root, if we found out, you know, if we if we could uncover it, which we should work to do, maybe this off season. Is, is to find out what happened there because it seems to me like there was some differences of opinions or, or of approaches with regards to Jorge Mas and, and Marcelo Claudio. Like you said, Marcelo Claudio was the, the initially the, the right-hand man for David Beckham in this whole odyssey and along the way Jorge Mas became the, the more prominent local figure and it you know more of the input had to go through him apparently because obviously he was footing a lot of the bill and maybe that, that, that ended up uh, edging out Marcelo Claudio or, or pushing him out of the picture more than he would have liked. But anyway, back to the game this this weekend. 
for Inter Miami, from an Inter Miami standpoint, they're mathematically not dead yet, still alive, but we know the outcome of the season. We know they're not going to get every single result to go their way that they need, and even if they did, they would have to make up a massive goal differential, which is it's just it's so big and so significant that it's just it's not going to happen. So do you think Inter Miami goes with the strongest lineup possible or a very, you know, first choice lineup this week? Or do you think or this weekend or do you think that we'll see maybe some younger players in there to maybe try to boost their their stocks before the offseason to try to give them a little bit more experience? You know, how do you think Phil Neville and Inter Miami approach what will be their final home game of the 2021 season? Got to go for it. I think just more more of the same. You know, they went there away obviously at Atlanta and he went for that slightly more defensive or system that he'd been using I think you know he may revert back to the to the four at the back and, and have a go you've got to have a go and there's, there's you know that that's it now maybe there's a bit of pressure off because they you know they realistically they're not going to make it but um yeah you know just just more they've got to go for it but right but I'm saying do you think that they go with their strongest lineup with veteran players like Gonzalo Higuain, Blaise Matuidi and Rolfo Pizarro or do you I... think he goes with you know maybe a younger lineup including the likes of maybe Robbie Robinson back in the starting lineup, Julian Carranza, because, right, even if you don't see these players longer term, right, like maybe for Robbie Robinson's case, if they want to keep him around, they want to give him some experience. So they could start him if they want to go this younger route. But a player like Julian Carranza, who probably isn't going to stick around, but maybe they want to give him a start to see if he can score a goals to help boost his stock before they potentially sell him this offseason, right? So that, that that's my question to you is, do you think they go first choice or as close to first choice starting 11 as possible or do you think that they might go with some younger players for experience purposes and for boosting stocks before this offseason to raise their values so how do you think they go about that good question good question um i mean i think you just got to go with the best team available really i mean he's, he's seen now over the season what different players can do you know we spoke to Carranza. Uh, before on on Monday, wasn't it? And he's, he's he's a young kid, and he, we we asked about him about his troubles this season and we. the last couple of years. <laughs> I, we, you I did. did. I you did. went two footed slide tackle on him in that press no, conference. No, yes, no, no. It was a good question. It was a good question, and it was uh, it, like you said, it had to be asked. You know why why he hasn't been living up to to the the expectations he probably had for himself over these last two seasons, and obviously he pointed to Gonzalo Higuain being ahead of him. Yeah, in, he, in the like, depth chart. he pretty much said, "I haven't been given a chance." That's what you, that's kind of what he said, really. I mean, you could certainly twist it like that in tabloid, you know, language. But, um, <laughs> I think it was like, more along the lines of Gonzalo Higuain. Although, look, to to be fair to to you there, it's not like he's been the number two option at striker, right? Like Robbie Robinson has gotten more looks at striker from the sure, starting he's, position. He's been there the club for two years, and he has never really done a great deal. So, and and he was highly. I spoke to. I, I we talked about this in the past. Spoke to an agent in Europe that had been. You know, they were keen to sign him and bring him to England. They were really keen on him. Thought he was a great player, so he clearly's got some things, something about him. But yeah, we, we I mean, haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Desperate, really, for two years, and such poor returns. And a guy that's, as we mentioned, also was embroiled in all the sort of, uh, you know, the the financial problems with Matuidi's. He's on on nearly a million dollars a year, so they're not getting their returns there. You see, that's the pro- that's that's the problem. But you've got to go with your got to go with your best team, whoever's available, and um, yeah, really have a go at them. I think that they will go with their best team just because of the fact that it's it is at home. Fans will have spent money to to 
go see a good product uh, and they will want to be excited and thrilled like they were in the most two recent home games, which ended 3-0 and 5-1. So I expect Inter Miami to go to the 4-2-3-1. I expect them to play most of the preferred starting 11. Maybe not Blaze Matuidi. Maybe not because, you know, I, I don't know if he gives you all that much there. I think Jay Chapman has done a decent enough job. When he has been called upon, so maybe not Blaze Matuidi, but I think Higuain should be in the lineup. Federico will probably be in the lineup, and I imagine they'll 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 try to take an attacking posture from the start. Now, what is the key to the game for Inter Miami for you, Primo? What does Inter Miami have to do to give the fans some thrills and some excitement in this last game at home at Drive Pink Stadium in 2021? Score score goals and don't let any in. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the, uh, but, you know, that's the, the key to any game, brother. Well, yeah, I mean, look, listen. You know, I think, to be fair, just talk about the fans for a second. I mean, you know, I think the support that the team have got, considering how badly they've been at some points of the season, it's been pretty good, I think, really. I think, you know, definitely definitely impressive. The numbers that have shown up and the atmosphere, you know, everything considered. Um, so, you know, yeah, I want to sign off on a high. Just some goals and, you know, um, a resounding win would, would, would be great. But it's the old adage, isn't it? You know, they've got to, they've got to take their chances and they've got to try and, keep them out. I thought defensively they looked pretty solid last night. They were just overrun a bit in the midfield in the second half and they were creating chances. So just just more of the same. And with that, if it goes back to that back four, then maybe that will, uh, maybe that just promotes them to be a bit attacking. It was kind of safety first last night, but it was working. And then, so maybe at home, it just it got the added impetus to be on the front foot from the start. But um, yeah, I, you, you, yeah, you've got to take, take the game to NYCFC who are looking pretty good for the playoffs so they'll probably be content just to sit back and, and soak it up they haven't got to go completely crazy so they're in a they're in a good spot right now if they do go to four at the back who is your starting center back tandem yeah i mean gonzalez perez i thought did did pretty well last night so i think him and mccoon i think is a decent is a decent pairing don't you think i mean i think they're a decent pairing but again if we're taking into consideration the off season which i'm sure that the team will then maybe you go figada and mccoon because or you want you want to give McCoon experience, continued experience, and you also maybe want to raise Nicolas Figal's stock, get him some more minutes before you potentially sell him this offseason. I think Leandro Gonzalez Pires, I don't think he's going to really raise his stock with another performance. He's he is what he is in MLS. They know that he's a he's a pretty good center back with a with a temperament that leads to yellow cards at times. So I don't think playing him necessarily does anything for you in terms of the offseason but obviously it might give you a better chance to win because he is a, he is pretty solid back there so i think they would go nicolas figal and christian mccoon if they play four at the back that but that's just me here on the outside speaking on thursday we haven't spoken to phil neville on friday yet to get any really insight or or any uh input as to what they might do on friday but that's just what i think steve my key to the game for inter miami is to Go for it and just enjoy and try to deliver an exciting product for the fans so that they can leave the stadium and and leave with fond memories of what has been a pretty disappointing season. If you lose, at least you try to thrill and you try to excite. The result pretty much, I mean, it matters. You want to win. I'm not going to say you don't want to win, but given that there's no promotion or relegation, if you lose, it's not the end of the world. You're already practically out of the playoffs anyway, so... Just try to try to give the fans some excitement and something to be happy about. You know, if they lose or they lose bad, you know, they would just put a real bad, bad, sour taste in, in everyone's mouth. 
could lead to more booze and you know you don't want that to be the 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 last image of Dry Pink Stadium in 2021 for Inter Miami. You want to see the fans happy. You want to see the fans with something to smile about. So just try to go for it. If you win, great. If you don't, then, well, you're not making the playoffs anyway. Prediction time, Steve. What does Inter Miami do on Saturday afternoon on Halloween Eve, where we'll both be there? I hope you bring me some candy. Uh, will Inter Miami win? Will they draw? Will they lose? Well, I mean, I. Like, that, I think that, that means that means they lose because if you're sighing, you're not happy. That means you're not convinced. I, that you're I going think to do it. I've got no idea how accurate my predictions are, but I, I, <laughs> I always predict them to winning, and it never happens. So um, I don't know. I think they'll they'll have a go at them, but it, you know, NYCFC have been you know they've shown they're not not too bad a team over the course of the season. Um, so I'll um, a draw two all. 2-2 draw. Okay, it's been my, my prediction for the last two games. I haven't hit on either. I was close this time, though. Let's see. I will say they have nothing to lose. They can throw numbers forward, but New York City FC is better than them. New York City's fighting for a a home playoff game. I, I want to say a win. Part of me says, you know, Inter Miami could win this one, but I, I will say I'll say they lose. I say they lose 3-2. to two. 3-2 to two loss for Inter-Miami at Drive Pink Stadium. Not the greatest result, but again, if you can score two goals and make the game exciting, you know, then, then at least you've held up that part of the bargain. So we'll see how they do. We'll see how Phil Neville approaches it. We'll speak to him on Friday morning, and we'll get a more of an idea of how Inter-Miami plans to approach things, not only on Saturday, but in the season finale the following week. Steve, let's take another quick break, and we'll come back after that to do the Q&A session, one of our last ones of the 2021 season, surely, so we'll do that after this. Okay, Primo, Q&A time. Let's just jump right into it. There are a few questions, so we've got a few to get through here. CJ is the first one. He says, can any slash all of Inter-Miami's players loaned out to Fort Lauderdale CF be called back to hashtag play the kids these last two games? I'd like to see Acosta and Ascona out there to see what they can do now that the season is virtually over. So I'll answer this one, and I will say that in theory they could call Back Ascona, I mean, Ascona is not even, you know, on loan. Ascona is, is an Inter-Miami player that's been on loan to, to Fort Lauderdale CF. So Ascona could be called into the match day roster, but I don't think it's going to happen in this weekend's game. I think the younger players are going to be given some time off, possibly, and I, I think it'll just be mostly the veteran team with their one last uh, show or one last hoorah in front of the in front of the local local fans. So probably the last time you'll see a lot of these players up close and personal because again we expect significant changes this this winter yeah i mean you know one interesting uh, storyline i guess with for next season would be probably harvey neville phil neville's son getting promoted up from the usl team into mls that would be uh that'd be interesting and i think mabika as well won't he do you think that he'll be uh yeah he'll be absolutely a... absolutely yeah 
Okay, next question comes from Don Cafecito. Now that this season is virtually over, somebody else has used the word virtually over, or the words, what are the good, the bad, and the ugly moments for you? Oof. That's a good question. It's a loaded question, but it's a good question. And I think to do it justice, we need a, we should save it for our season, end of season podcast so that we can really just think about it more and dissect it and analyze it a little bit better. Because if we try to think of it right now, I don't think we're going to come up with, with adequate answers or precise answers. So let's leave that one for the end of the season pod, which will come out in probably a couple of weeks. That cool with you, Steve? Very cool. Okay. All right. We'll go to Roberto Rivadeneira. Sorry, Don Cafecito, though. I don't want you to think we're, we're skipping out on your question. I just think it, it's better to answer at the end of the season when we're focused uh, a little bit more on just the, the overall totality of the campaign as opposed to still in the thick of, of different games. But Roberto Rivadeneira comes with the next question. He says, assuming that the three DPs are out, wouldn't you agree for next season the higher DPs that are one, a defender, second, a midfielder, and third, a forward? So I would say no. I would say that would not be the approach to take because in MLS, you don't normally sign defenders to DP deals. To get maximum value of the three designated players, you really need them to be in the midfield and above, like in in more advanced positions. So from midfield up, because you can get pretty good defenders on TAM-level money. Not that Inter-Miami will have a whole lot of that to, to use next year because of the sanctions, but... To really make the most out of your DPs, you need them to be, you know, either strikers, attacking midfielders, wingers. If you really want to go the route of, of central midfielder, you can. But it's it's very rare to see defenders signed as designated players as of 2021. Maybe that trend will change in the next five years. But I think the, the, the route Inter-Miami will probably look to take, if they can get rid of all three, would be... Striker, attacking midfielder, and a central midfielder. That, that's what I think Inter Miami will look to do. Yeah, and it'd be you know just on the flip side, it'd be also to see just how they can, you know, what money they can get and how they can utilize move out some of the squad players that they need to move out. You know, the restrictions are going to hit them badly, and that's uh, that's always going to be hanging over them. I think moving forward, that you know that that inability to really have a proper. Well, I mean, look, they've still got they've still got. Yeah, room to maneuver things but it's, it makes it much more difficult with these sanctions doesn't it so um I have to wait and see a lot of phone calls a lot of wheeling dealing see see what they can work out next question comes from gabe p so the commentators narrating the game were telling phil the problems the team was facing before he even realized it i think there may be a little problem there how did they realize 15 minutes before him that our midfield was being run over by atlanta i like him but that's a mistake Primo, I'll let you start here because you said, you know, that that was part of your analysis that you saw Inter Miami's midfield getting overrun in that second half. So, you know, what do you think with regards to the to Phil's analysis and management of the game in that second half? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could have you could have shored it up in in uh, in the second half a bit once they were on the back foot. But as we said, it's just. I still felt they were in the game for most of it, and he knew that if they get a chance, then the chances were going to come. So it's, uh, I don't think they did too much wrong tactically, man. As we've, as we've said, it was just, uh, yeah, they just didn't take the chances. That was it. That was it. Even if they would have gone earlier ahead early on, you know, it was, uh, it was the first time that Atlanta had come back from being a goal down at, uh, at half time to win a game all season. Um, so they were, they were kind of there for the taking. You think if they get an early goal, then they can get another one. Yes, they were ahead, but. 
didn't take the chances. Right, but there was a moment and a spell in that second half. In on the rewatch, and I, I watched it back with my brother. You know, I noted, I, I well, yeah, I noted to him that I was like, they're losing the control of the game because there was a segment or a period, a stretch in that second half where Atlanta starts finding more success with the ball and started started wrestling control, whatever control Inter Miami had in the game, away from it, and that's when Inter Miami started to struggle a bit. So. Look, could Phil have gone to his bench sooner or made some adjustments? Absolutely, absolutely. And look, none of, none of the substitutions that he made really impacted the game for the better. Federico Iwain came on and was involved. Indiana Vasilev showed some energy. Carranza didn't do all that much. And Robbie Robinson obviously wasn't great. So, you know, his substitutions weren't the best in this one. We've given him credit when the subs have come in and made a, an impact and won games or helped make the difference. In this one, they weren't even close to doing that. Well, maybe Robinson was close, but they just they just didn't they didn't get it done at the end of the day. So I mean, you you definitely can criticize Phil Neville from certain standpoints, but again, I don't think that the loss is on him. I think the loss is on just the team not finishing chances. And obviously, Phil Neville can't go on the field and put the put his shoes on and, and score for the team. That's you know that just comes down to to finishing. And you would expect players like Gonzalo Higuain to to put the ball into the back of the net with the chances that he got. And even someone like Robbie Robinson, not a, a, a million-dollar man or a five-million-dollar man, but still the chance he had with that header, that, that has to be put into the back of the net. Next question comes from Twitter. As a hockey and soccer fan, why is the plus-minus stat not really used in soccer? Team goal differential is negative 16, and we have Matuidi with a negative 26 plus-minus. While being 5th in minutes played, Gregory is negative 6, being 4th in matches played. Morgan is negative 12, being 1st in matches played. Higuain, negative 14 with 3rd. Pizarro, negative 11 with ninth. We need more Gregories. So, I don't know why that's not used. I'm, you know, if, if all those numbers are correct, I'm glad you did the legwork there because that, that I can't imagine, was was too easy unless it's, it's laid out somewhere else. But, uh, Steve, why is that stat not used more in soccer? I don't know. I've, you've <laughs> kind of stumped me. I don't even know what stat you're talking about. It's it's essentially you know what the goal differential is when you're on the field. I believe, right? Like they use it. In, think... They use it in basketball and they use it in hockey to, sure, you know, to sure, see sure. to see you know how effective the team is when you're on the field. I don't think it necessarily paints a great picture. Maybe in basketball because there's only you know there's only uh, five players per team. And maybe in hockey too, X, but... it's not XG though. Expected goals. No, no, no. This is no, no. He, he, that's why he's saying as a hockey as a hockey fan. Why is okay? That that's fair enough. Players? No, I have to. I have to. That's that's interesting. I have to have a. I have to do some homework and have a look at that. I think there's just too many variables. I think there's just too many players. There's eleven on each team. You know, it's it's not like you see the same eleven yeah. like you might see the same five in basketball on the field on a consistent basis over the course of a season. So I think maybe that's that's one of the reasons. Maybe it's not a part of regular football lingo but that's just you know my 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 thoughts here next question comes from talk inter miami cf can we still be proud we stayed in the playoff race until the near end after the new england disaster primo i'll let you start there uh yes i think i i think and you know you're you're jump in here and say oh no this, this is much <laughs> you know me so well my friend i think there have been more high points this season than last season wow more, more hopes of like, kind of optimism that they're kind of on the right track. Wow. Do you not think that? I, maybe because it's just newer, and I just forgotten about the the Diego Alonso year, 
um, and maybe, just moved maybe, on. Unlike you, you know, unable to move on from it. Maybe because uh, a certain Englishman is the head coach or compatriot. Oh, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> All the little chats with tactics in, on YouTube or whatever you were doing with him. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's There have been some, some, some good moments and there have been some bad moments, just like there were kind of last season. But I don't know. It kind of felt a little bit more together this season i don't think that could be disputed and it wasn't the fact of, no of last way. season when we were saying no it was the best behind way. the scenes and stuff no was way. happening take more together this year no way no way no way i think so as a club i don't know it's man. not as fractured as it was no look, if you go back i mean this you know this the question is the way the question is can they can we still be proud that they that the team stayed in the playoff race until the near end after that five to zero loss to the new england revolution look i would say no i would say no proud is, i don't think proud is the word i no, think proud's not the word i think you could you could maybe look back on that and say look you know the team improved significantly right right after that uh, and, and showed some good things, and that's where Phil Neville, kudos to him for, for making the tactical adjustments that led to, to to improved results. But I don't think proud is the word, because the team is still in 11th place in the Eastern Conference. It's not even like this, and look, then the fact that they're in the in the playoff race to this point in the season, so this late in the year, is just a, a byproduct of the MLS's structure. It's just the parity that exists in the league. Because, let's be honest, Inter-Miami except for maybe one moment in that good run of form, was never really above the playoff line. The team has been playing catch-up almost the entire season, and even during this spell, uh, before they even lost, they were still trying to play catch-up and still trying to get above the red line. So I don't think proud is the word. I don't I, I don't think fans should be proud by what they saw of the team. There's certain things that you could you could be pleased with seeing that, that, that happened and that maybe will give you signs for optimism next year but i don't think proud is the word I, I that's just me though reason to believe that things could potentially get better i think is uh i think it's a failure for them to especially in a 14 team division uh 14 teams yes. yeah um to not finish in the top seven is, is is not is not good enough absolutely not good enough i mean you look at some of the other teams and whatever and i don't know the investment they've made here but i don't know money doesn't guess come into it too much but Definitely got to be in the top seven. Very poor to have not got made in the playoffs, and in it when it's so close as well. New England is probably the only team out of. In but it's only close because. But it's only close because of the parity that MLS forces no, in the league. Yeah, I mean Inter Miami was. It, it was. Yeah, yeah, but Inter Miami and look, part of the reason why they even stayed this late too, and, and this is just to expand on my previous response. Part of it is because of the unbalanced schedule that exists because there are still some teams that have a game in hand on Inter-Miami right now. And that's helped Inter-Miami stay in the picture longer because if everyone had played the same amount of games the same amount of times or at the same time, then Inter-Miami would have been eliminated probably a week ago or, or maybe even two. You know, the fact that, that, that there's just such such an imbalance in the schedule is part of the reason why Inter-Miami is still, even till now, mathematically alive there are teams that will play next wednesday whereas inter miami will have that wednesday off so you know that's part of the reason as well but again for me 11th place with a better roster i i I don't think there's there's much to be proud about there there were good moments absolutely and i would say you could look back on those those moments fondly and say that was exciting or that was good and that's something that that can be built on but proud i don't i don't think proud's the word Last question comes from 
Elder Bar, and he has two tweets here. And one's directed directly at you, Steve. So I'll start with the first one. Inter Miami has a better than good roster. It lacks consistency. Marsman never has a constant center back pairing in front and no trust in players to play with more up top. Anyways, is Inter Miami pressuring DPs and targeted allocation money players to quit? Is that the sense you get? If so, can will the Players Association intervene? And the second part is also, Primo, if you want England to win a cup, then Southgate has to go. Trust me, these coaches don't know what they have. They turn Ferraris into Priuses. Well, you can go first with the uh, MLS technicality uh, question. Uh, Well, look, are they pressuring DPs and TAMs into quitting? I don't know that. I don't have that information. But, look, things happen behind the scenes all the time in professional sports. And MLS is no exception where teams and and clubs try to – I'm trying to find the right word here – try to force – other players' hands or force moves that benefit the team's best interest. And I, and I think that's just par for the course. Obviously, it has to be done within, I imagine, some type of structure. And I can't imagine they will just, they could just do anything to, to try to get a player to, to not want to come back. But I imagine there's some element to that, absolutely. But that's just my supposition. That is not information. Let me make that clear. I know people that work for the team and, and that are in and around the club listen to this podcast. So that's just my supposition on the outside. That is not information, so don't take that as Franco Penizo's reporting. I'm just saying that's I can imagine that that does happen to an extent. Yeah, I mean, you know, when money's involved and agents are around and, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussions now. They have, they're have they trying to draw up their battle plan for, for next season, hamstrung by the fact that they still haven't, you know, they're, they're without that money. So, yeah, they're manoeuvring. That's what Chris Henderson's job is, is to manoeuvre players, the players in and out. So, you know, calls are made and... You know, these the are rules big, are big... bent. The rules are bent. As long as you don't break them, like Inter yeah. Miami did, then you're fine. But the rules do get bent. And I don't listen. Soccer, football, you know this. You know this, especially in in other parts of the world where there's not all these rules and stuff. Football is a dirty business. Football is a dirty business. If it's like any agent, in any sport, in any agent, you speak oh, to agents, basketball, absolutely. NFL, they're all the same. Watch ballers. You see the. I don't know if anyone's watched ballers. The agent in there is brilliant. You know that that's just what it's like. It's the agent wants is going to get a cut, and the club's going to get a cut as well. And you know it's just. Moving and shaking. We'll 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 try and get uh, some, some agents on one time to, to talk through. It could be quite interesting. <laughs> All right. As for the the Southgate has to go Southgate, from England. He's been the most successful manager we've had for since nineteen sixty six for over fifty five years. And uh, yeah, he's brought through some players. He's come through the England system. Was England under twenty one manager? Then no, I think he's done a great job. But the World Cup, you know, they've got a yeah. They've got it. I think getting to the World Cup final will really be, probably be the you know his their, their main aim, and then after that, who knows? But I think they could have won the Euros if they were just a little bit more positive. So hopefully, they draw from that. But England, for once, have actually got a, a squad of really good players, young players as well. Um, and I think he, you know, he's done a great job. But he needs to win something, to look, like they all do. Okay, well that does it for the Q and A session. Steve, give us your final thoughts. I will give mine, and we will wrap up the second pod of this week after that. Yeah, listen, it's been a it's been a bit of a slog of the season recently. It's been you know quite difficult you know for the team to to just keep this playoff alive, you know, run alive when they really knew that you know those two bad winless runs have really cost them. But it's it's a shame. It's a real shame. But um, yeah, just be interested to see how they go about the last couple of games, and then I'm more interested actually in in the preseason just to see how they're going to try and reshape everything and restructure it, and who's going to go out and is Gonzalo going to hang up his boots? So yeah disappointment but then interesting to see what's what what happens next my final thought is on 
the reaction to what has now pretty much cemented Inter Miami status this this season. How is David Beckham going to respond to this? How is Jorge Mas going to respond to this? Because even with the the new head coach and Phil Neville coming in, even with new players coming in, Inter Miami and Jorge Mas said publicly they wanted to be a team that finished in the top three in the Eastern Conference. And they have a, ta- a, more, a roster that's more talented than 11th place. And maybe they don't finish in 11th, maybe they finish in 10th. We'll see how the next two games play out. But Inter-Miami will fall well short of expectations, and I imagine we will talk to some of the leadership in the post-season, end-of-season availability and interviews that we get, and I'm very curious to hear what they have to say about the season, because this is unacceptable for a team that is so ambitious, and I don't think anyone saves themselves from the, from the blame from the criticism, there's a lot of questions to be asked about the state of this season, how they move on from here because of the sanctions, and you know, hopefully we get those answers sooner rather than later. Whereas, you know, as last year, which I thought was very unacceptable, we did not speak to leadership at the end of the season, and we didn't speak to them until the start of essentially preseason for this this 2021 campaign. So hopefully we we do get that opportunity. I imagine we will. I don't imagine that they will do that again. Very curious to hear those remarks. But that does it for this week's second pod. We thank you guys again so much for listening again and sticking with us here through, obviously, uh, a rough finish to the campaign. There's still two games to play. Maybe Inter-Miami can go off on a high note, even if they don't make the playoffs. But we'll see how they do. We'll be back again next week to recap and review this game against New York City FC and preview the season finale against the New England Revolution. We hope you guys have a happy Halloween. Hope you got your costumes ready. Let us know or send us your pictures if you're going to dress up as an Inter-Miami player or as Steven Primo Brenner. That would be funny to see. But thank you guys so much for listening. For Steve Brenner, I am Franco Paniso. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very, very soon.